what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello everyone and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. This is our ongoing film discussion and review show that we put together for your listening enjoyment. My name is Alan. Across from me, as always, on our nice table here is Chris. Hello. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. And who is this person? We have somebody else sitting at the table. I'm not used to seeing a third person. No one invited her. <laughs> I'm totally Why freaking out. Who What's going this? on? <laughs> Chris, she, why didn't you tell me this? She guessed it on a previous episode, but now I cannot remember which one it is. But It was Interstellar. It's okay. totally Interstellar. It, Interstellar. Yeah. it was when we uh, reviewed Interstellar. This is Abigail. Abigail, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Good. Abigail's going to join us for at least one of our reviews, and maybe uh, we'll see if, if more or not. So uh, I don't know if she's seen the second film we're going to review. Maybe you can just make it up as we go. Just say random things. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say if I saw. <laughs> so today's show, uh, we actually have two films we're going to be reviewing. We're going to be reviewing the latest Noah Baumbach film starring uh, Ben Stiller called While We're Young. We also have a film coming up that you probably have not heard of because I had not until Chris told me to watch it last night called Faults. And then uh, we've got some movie news we're going to jump into. And then we will end the show with a recommendation of a film that we think you ought to check out online somehow. So with that, let's go ahead and get right into our show, into our first review, which all three of us are ready to have our opinion on. We just saw the film last night, so it's very fresh on our brain. We're going to be discussing a film starring Naomi Watts and Ben Stiller. It's called While We're Young. Why do you suddenly want to hang out with a couple of 25-year-olds? We were just 25. I mean, we weren't, but, you know, it'll be fun. We met this interesting couple. What's the rumpus, Rednecks? I like how engaged they are in everything. It's like their apartment is full of everything we once threw out, but it looks so good the way they have it. Being around them energizes you. It's infectious. I've learned along the way you can discover more by allowing yourself to be surprised by what you encounter. We're worried about you guys. What's with the hat? What? You're an old man with a hat. For the first time in my life, I stopped thinking of myself as a child imitating an adult. You feel that way, too? So, Chris, and now Abigail, too. Uh, Noah Baumbach, you know, we've talked about Noah Baumbach a little bit in our shows in the past, but I don't think we've ever reviewed one of his films because Squid and the Whale was one that you and I both watched many years ago when it came out. I don't think we were doing the podcast back when that show, that one came out. We weren't. But that may have been a recommendation that one of us has given over the years. You might have recommended that. I definitely recommended his previous film, Francis Francis Ha. Ha. Yeah. I know you like Francis Ha. Yep. Uh, Greenberg was another film he did that I didn't care for as much, but was okay. Margot at the Wedding, he also did too. Abigail, are you familiar at all with Baumbach's films other than the one last night? Other than Francis Ha. Francis Ha you saw as well. So, you know, he's done four or five, maybe six films at this point. Um, Ben Stiller, this is his second role with him. Chris, I'm going to harken back to The Squid and the Whale because there is a phrase and a Uh, a, a mention of that (laughs) that I think is just hilarious, and we're going to apply it to this. While We're Young, which talks about Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts as a 40-something-year-old couple facing maybe a little bit of a point in their life where they're starting to wonder, are they happy with what the, the pace of their life and the structure, especially when they become exposed to a very young 20 something year old couple that live by some very, very different rules and lifestyles. They become connected to them. They start to feed off of their energy a bit. And then things start to get a little more interesting and complicated, which we won't go too much into spoiler on quite yet. Um, so with this film, Chris, does While We're Young count as minor Baumbach, or are we looking at something just as good or not better than Francis Ha, which I believe you really liked? Or, on the exact opposite end, is it like the gentleman in our screening last night said, that on a 0 to 10 scale, this was a negative 6? Well, you know, uh, for me, this would definitely be uh, considered major Baumbach. Major Baumbach, not yes. minor Baumbach. Okay. No. Good. Um, I actually, uh, in thinking about it more and more, uh, last night this morning this film to me is Noah Baumbach's like godfather this is his magnolia wow. this is his magnolia okay. this is his magnolia um, this is Ooh. it I'm not saying he won't make another good movie because hopefully he will um, 
but this movie to me is the best that I've seen from him and I haven't seen all his stuff, but I've seen most of his stuff. Right. And it was ambitious. And, uh, I, I think there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot there to think about and, uh, enjoy. So obviously Chris is positive on the film. (laughs) I think we can gather that now. Abigail, where do you stand on this? Uh, you saw it uh, at our screening a couple nights ago with me. Yeah. I think I like it more than I've thought about it more. You think you like it more <laughs> now that you've thought about it. Yeah, Not I only exactly think. the most ringing endorsement, but so you've, it's grown on you as you've kind of thought a little bit more about yeah, it. Yeah, it has grown on me. Mm-hmm. I think um, initially I just kind of wanted it. I liked it, but I wanted it to be simpler. Well, that's feeding into a little bit of my criticism of it. I generally like the movie. As of the Again, halfway, that's a ringing endorsement. As of I the halfway point in the movie. No, this is important. I as think of, I like <laughs> the movie sort of, maybe. At the halfway point in the film, or maybe a third of the way through the film, I honestly, and I remember even thinking to myself in my brain, I absolutely love this movie. I was in love with this movie as of like one third of the way through. Because the first part is really focusing on the couples. It's the Ben Stiller, Naomi Watts characters getting to be friends with, is it Jamie and Darcy? Is that the Darby? Yeah. Darby. Yeah. Darby. And that dynamic and their energy feeding off of one another and the comparison and contrasting of their lifestyles, I thought was brilliant. I loved every moment of it. I did lose interest in the film a little bit by the second half because I felt like they tried to put, it's almost like the film was at three layers. Okay, you had the top layer, which was all about the couples and their interaction, which was great. Then you dig a layer down deeper and you got into this idea of fakeness and people's intentions and being friends. And can you let somebody into your life and all that? Then it goes a layer deeper than that, even more specific to talk about the art of documentaries. Hmm. All three of those layers work together. I get where the where Bombach's going with all of it. I just thought it got way too deep into that third layer, and it lost sight of that top layer that I was so enthralled with in the first half. Is that when you say you felt wanted to be simpler? Is that kind of the same idea? Yeah, I, I yeah exactly. I kind of felt like it was starting to become more layered, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose. We didn't need the layer. Yeah, I didn't, Chris, I didn't think it was needed. I'm not saying you're wrong. I right. get, I, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. For me, I had a completely different experience and I enjoyed, instead of the director and writer, because he wrote and directed it, you know, Noah Baumbach, I felt like he was juggling a lot of things. But mm-hmm. for me, like you're talking about, you know, midlife crisis aging, a couple's, you know, dynamic, parenting, filmmaking, all these things were being juggled. But to me, he wasn't juggling just like juggling balls. Instead, he was juggling, go with the, or the like description here, he was juggling onions. And each of those onions, you could peel away and go really deep into each one of those. And that's what made the movie so satisfying, so much so that like, I can continue to focus on, okay, what was it saying about filmmaking? And then like think about that for an hour and then I could say, okay, what were they saying about parenting and about how people perceive that? Like there's, it was so much packed in there and I could see people saying it not was, it wasn't confusing, but it just seemed to be rambling all over the place. And I get that, but that's for me, that was actually a positive because I've seen a lot of movies about couples that wouldn't interest me. Um, I've seen movies about filmmaking that probably would interest me, but basically he put so much in here that I got, it was like, you know, it was like having a buffet and I was stuffed by the time I was finished. And I I thought it was like, it's almost like we all, we all agree about the film. It's just what you liked about it is what kind of turned us off Correct, and vice versa. So that's interesting. And I will say that. So like I had my initial thoughts about it, Mm -hmm. but then I feel like, after thinking about it for maybe a day, I realized how much it did kind of lead me to think about, and I think I like that. I'll, I'll say, too, that one of the things about this film is I feel like it's a very narrowly focused, target-marketed film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I don't know, uh, Abigail and I discussed this off mic earlier today, that she's thinking that a lot of this movie has to be semi-biographical about Mr. Bombard because... The guy in the movie, Grant, he does documentaries, and obviously this director makes you know narrative features. But 
they're both at the same point in their life. And I think that that's, that is true, and I think there probably is some biographical elements. Also, I would say, for me, I am about the same age as the character in this film. And am I. And I have friends that act like, even though they are my same age, but act like the Darby and Jamie character. Well, Abigail, you're like in that age range, right? She yeah. is. There yeah. Okay. And we talked about that. And like, so she can associate with like how they, what they do and like their daily activities. I have friends like that and they actually still are like that. So it's <laughs> yeah. interesting that they, because they never had yeah. kids and this talks about kids mm-hmm. and like, you know, time and what you focus on. And so it couldn't have spoken more to me because I felt like he had been following my life and decided to make a movie about, and, you know, changed a little couple of details, but it just really spoke to me. And I felt like he got a lot of things dead on that just surprised me that well, they were that. And accurate. that's the thing with me is that I was, I thought it was speaking to me too, that first half. And even the second half, I mean, I'm a documentarian fan fanatic. I mean, I love documentaries. I've dabbled with trying to make some of my own in past years. So I was even on board with that whole thing. I could have watched a whole movie that was just the argument of real documentary versus fake and the conflict of that. That, to me, would have been a fascinating movie in itself as well. I think it was just for me is the fact that I was so locked in on that first theme. By the time they got to the second and then the deeper third theme, I almost felt like they forgot the first theme. And that was the one that I was so enthralled with. They did. He made a point in the last closing two scenes to try to tie it all back together. And I think it was moderately successful. I do say that by the end, I felt a little bit better back about the film than I had like 20 minutes earlier. Huh. That last couple scenes, I do feel like he made an effort to say, I'm going to try to tie all three of those storylines and themes together. Well, And it worked for the most part. It's just at that point, I, was, I, I can't really even tell you some of the key scenes in the second half of the film, I don't really recall them oh, man. because they just didn't make that much of an impact on me. Cause it felt like everything was just kind of muddied at that point where the first half, I remember very distinct scenes and dialogue and all that. So, um, it was just, it was interesting. I liked it. I really did like it. It's just, I, it's a shame because I wanted to love it by the end of the film and I mm. just didn't quite get there. Well, and I, you know, you talk about, what do you expect going into a film? We've talked about how previews can ruin things. It can be kind of a bait and switch. You go in with an expectation because you've heard good reviews or you've seen the trailer and then you get in the movie and it's like, whoa, this isn't what this is at all. I loved the trailer for this film um, and it set me up for a much different film. You know, basically mm-hmm. a comedy, what you're talking about, the first hour. The trailer was all about so. that first half hour of the film. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when it did switch gears, it caught me off guard. But, you know, honestly... I was I was ready I was ready for a bit of a change. I was like, okay, mm. let's 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 move into some more interesting territory. Okay. And I felt like what helped that too is because it wasn't like a typical comedy where it had certain beats that you knew were going to be met and then like the the resolution of them was going to be nice and tidy. Like I felt mm. that, that there again, the messiness of this movie helped to make it more unique, more ambitious. And I, I just thought it was great. Were there other select positives you know whether it's performances or scenes or styles or anything that you guys really stood Abigail, out do you for have you? any you'd like to throw i have some that i can mention you go um, ahead but, okay uh, this i remember some of the members that came to see the screening they talked about how there's a lot of use of the f word yep. um and that's an interesting in this movie you know lots of comedies have that that's just kind of done you know it's independent film it's r-rated but there's a moment in this movie where the two main characters, Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts, they're, you know, the husband and wife characters they're playing. They have an argument <laughs> and they use it, but they don't just say it. They then dissect why they're using it, what meaning they're associating to it. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And how like, oh, the young folks today use it a lot. And it's in a lot of movies, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of meta commentary right there. If the movie had been complete garbage, I might've still, like giving it two and a half stars or something because of that little meta commentary, wow, okay, which I yeah. really appreciate. And mm-hmm. I really like things like that. So that's, that's a definitely like, it was a highlight of the film that I, yeah. I really liked that one. That I'll one go part. and say for me, I, I thought all of the acting was great. Mm-hmm. I really can't even tell you a performance I thought was bad. Even Charles Grodin, who you kind of got the sense that he was probably just somebody they wanted to bring in the film because of his stature and they needed somebody as a little more of a, 
uh, you know, prominent figure that people would recognize and all. But he he played. I mean, he played his part really well. All of the roles were really, really well acted. I thought. Mm-hmm. I can't pick out one that was my favorite. I like seeing a more serious Ben Stiller than I do a more jokey, silly Ben Stiller yeah. these days. You're done with the Night at the Museum stuff. I'm done stuff. with the Night at the Museum sure. stuff. I have been for years. <laughs> but when he pulls out a film like this where he still gets to have his manic energy at times, he still gets to have his ranting and raving that I think people like to actually see him do. But it's all done in a very realistic and somewhat serious tone in a lot of cases. And it really, his performance really worked for me. I'll say that I was really impressed with uh, Adam Driver. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was in a movie tracks that I saw this past year and he's going to be in the new star Wars films. Mm-hmm. And I've never, and I haven't watched the HBO series girls, but I haven't really thought much of them one way or the other. Right. And this film, I was really impressed with different, uh, personalities that he has and how he handles himself and just like he plays kind of like a hipster basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how he embodied that but then could change it just it was a very good performance for him it was i thought abigail is there anything really stood out for you i think uh one performance that stood out that it wasn't very long but it was the guy what was he? Uh, um, was the he the head fund guy, the guy, guy that they were pitching the film yeah. idea to? Yeah. And so he's younger. He's kind of in the same demographic as Jamie and uh, Darby. Absolutely. And he's sitting there. And but has a lot of money. Yeah. But has a lot of money and is not in the same kind of hipster culture as they are. He's very it's, much the corporate culture yes. he's called into, yeah. And, but I almost feel like he kind of represented sort of just like a neutral young person that needs to be entertained Mm -hmm. and i feel like ben stiller was that kind of old guy like i need to figure out how to entertain everyone yep especially people like you i think the the scene with the two of them that's my probably my favorite scene in the film just because i think it's hysterical and just it could have been so jokey but instead it was so authentic Mm -hmm. where i've been in meetings like that and you'd see the guy and you can see him not quite understanding what you're trying to say his eyes kind of glazing his eyes start glazing over and then he starts occasionally like fidgeting with his computer just slightly just enough to see what's going on his screen you know and that was that was a really well done scene it was funny too it got a lot of laughs in the uh the audience when we were watching it yeah yeah yeah, I liked him. Um, I will say just a couple of negatives for me. I mean, I know I talked about the muddiness of the second half, and that's just more, sure. it just didn't work for me. I'm not going to say it's a negative or a bad part of the film. It just it just didn't work for me. Um, the only thing, the only issue I've got in the film, and I'm not spoiling it, because there are a couple little elements of the film that you don't want to talk about how it ends up or where it goes in, in the final act or so. But there's a there's a conversation or a theme involved about documentaries and you know whether or not they should be truly real and you know you turn on your camera and you point and you shoot and you get what you get or whether it's okay to kind of manipulate and fake a little bit to get Mm -hmm. it to a a better result and the film tried to make a little bit of an argument that the young generation were doing that kind of deception work while the older generation is a much more purist and much more and I don't think that was the message they were trying to go for. That's kind of the message that came across. And I don't think that was a really fair message because unfortunately every generation has had people who are going to abuse the system and perform the fakery and all that. I think the messaging of the younger generation being the one that it just expects everything to be handed to them. Mm. That's that, that I buy into because that is, I think a mentality that we've kind of adopted over the generations, but I think it had just some messy messages. It was trying to share about, the idea of fake versus authentic. And I don't think it was just unique to that young 20 something year old generation that the film was trying to address. That's just more of a, more of a pet peeve thing for me that I just, I felt like it was a little confusing messages on that. Um, On that note though, I almost kind of feel like um, it maybe wasn't necessarily saying that the younger generation is, I feel like it was almost trying to make an argument that it's not the younger generation that's trying to, um, I guess, twist things more mm-hmm. the way that they want them to or right. to get uh, or to be handed things, but almost that it happens in every life cycle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I it's think, kind of like... I think that's exactly what was being said. And I think there, there are three... Three, uh, which I'm trying to dance around things without being specific. But basically, they're 
there are three individuals in the film. There's Ben Stiller's character. There's, um, which his name is Josh. Yes. And then there's Jamie. And then there's the father played by Charles. Father-in-law. Father-in-law. Right. And which that's actually an interesting thing that I slipped and call him father. Remind Mm -hmm. me about that. We'll come Mm -hmm. back to that. Sure. Um, But, you know, there are different generations represented there and there's interpretations that they all have on each other. Right. And uh, the father-in-law, Grodin, like, you know, he did certain things with Ben Stiller in the past. They worked together and he has kind of grudges that he holds against him because how he perceives that guy felt about him. And there are all these... And I think it kind of goes to what Abigail was saying, that basically it's kind of a cycle mm-hmm. that you you grow older, you don't do things that you did when you were younger, and then when you get to be older, older, you know, much older, you know, in late, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, you start to then reflect back and say, well, maybe I was misconstruing some things. And I think that's a statement that the Grodin character, the father-in-law, says kind of towards the end when... Stiller's kind of ranting and raving. He's like, well, you know, it's kind of in how you're perceiving things. And he doesn't have the, you know, Stiller at one point will have the perspective that the father-in-law has, but he doesn't have it right now. And it's, you know, I don't know. And you can't just completely diss the young because there's something there as well. There's initiative, there's drive, there's creativity. It's all in how it's being managed. And I, you know, and just the mere fact, you know, what is truth? What is a document? Just because, you see something on screen that doesn't mean it's real. Even the documentaries that his father was making, there can be questions about how much of that was real and how much of that was, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's not as mm-hmm. there again, it's the onion peeling the back onion. and a lot of layers on that onion. <laughs> right. I was thinking that I, I kind of like the layer, I guess that you could call it that Ben Stiller, um, character is, like he feels like he has some sort of like property in yeah um what's the show or the whatever commercial he mentions that he was yeah he's is nostalgic, vintage now he's nostalgic or about something was it like cookie or something like yeah. that or yeah. yeah some commercial character he he wrote or directed right. the, 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 the so commercial for yeah then Jamie kind of talks about like oh I'm naming my band that or whatever and he's like you don't even know mm-hmm. what the you weren't even alive when that was a big thing or you that wasn't your generation but um, I I kind of like how uh, he's he's almost kind of not being selfish but there's like a sense of um, ownership yeah. in his generation. Well, there's even the comment he made late in the film, which, you know, of your generation talking about the younger one, your generation, you just see something and you just want to take it. And it's just, if you take it, it's yours. You get to use it. You get to, if it's a song you like, you get to take that song and use it. And Ben Stiller's generation saying that's, that's, that's stealing. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not yours. You don't just get to see something and say, I want that. And see, that's a whole nother layer on there, which I mean, again, right. I like these layers. I just, <laughs> my problem was they just tried to cram so many layers into a second half of a movie that I just felt like was already chugging along really good at the pace it was going on. So, um, mm-hmm. and again, look at the conversation we're having. Most of this conversation we're talking about is the art of documentary filmmaking and the ownership and possession between generations. That's not the conversation I thought we would have about this film based on the trailer in the first right. 20, 30 minutes, right. you know, you Absolutely. think it's all a whole different type of, of film. So, um, very interesting. I will give it that interesting film. I liked, I wish I loved by the end, uh, came close, but did not. Chris is obviously a big fan. I am. A um, big fan. and Abigail is liking and liking a little more that you think about it. Yeah. Is that a good way of, of phrasing <laughs> yes. it there? Is there any other thoughts or observations about the film you guys had? Or I do English? like, I think, or well, at least think it's kind of funny that, um, with all these, I guess, layers. Um, ben Stiller's uh, characters, uh, his documentary, the whole time he's working with it, and he's mm-hmm. like, it's so full of layers, too. And he's trying to. It's like to six fig- hours long. I yeah, and he's trying right. to figure out how to. But how he to wants it, it to be that way. But then other people are telling him, like, you need to. And that's almost kind of partly what makes me think, like, it's a little bit personal to. Absolutely. Him. The well, Baumbach is 44 or 45 years old. He I think is. I, saw. I figured it out last night. He's 46. Okay. Because he's five years older than me. All right. So, um, And, you know, you could almost argue, too, no, Baumbach is not a household name. No. He has been making some films, but none of his films have been runaway successes. They've gotten their little niche followers, 
But right. none of them are household names. You're not going to – you can't go down the street and say Margo at the wedding and catch anybody who's actually seen the film. And unlike a work – some guy he sometimes does some work with, Wes Anderson, has gotten a lot of critical success. Wes Anderson's gotten the Oscar nominations. Yeah. He's mm. gotten all the – people know his personality. Right. So maybe there's a little bit of that kind of woven into the film too from his perspective. You never know. There's so many – you know, to me, a sign of a good one of the signs of a good film is when it finishes, I actively want to watch it again. Like if for some reason the movie was going to start over and I'm like, well, I have nowhere to be. I'll just sit here and watch another, you know, I'll watch this film again for 97 minutes. I would immediately be willing to do that with while they're young because there's so much there that I feel like I didn't get. And so many lines that characters say that I want to write down and remember you know? yeah. specifically. There's one that. Darby says towards the end of the film and um, Abigail and I were talking about it earlier so maybe she can help me phrase it because I can't remember the exact Uh, phrasing but it's something along the lines of she's talking about the um, Adam Driver character Jamie and I were wondering how we were going to grow old yeah turns out just like everybody else we Mm. got old yeah it's kind of this realization that to me and that's roughly the phrasing but that that says so much (laughs) I do think it made me think uh, kind of not critically maybe but about my own generation just kind of how maybe we do um, I don't know with uh, the bringing back the vinyls and all that stuff I've never I obviously never was a part of that but now but I am definitely a part like I feel like I live in a house with a roommate Right. And our lives are a little more fluid than obviously like my parents are in like, and we, we have like these big get togethers and people spend that. And that's very, so I relate a know, lot to that. But we don't know if that's a element of the 20 something year of, of the times today, or if it's just, if that's it's just, just young always, 20 year old, right. you yeah. know, that's, that's right. Because I can look back on my young 20s before marriage or that. And yeah, it was absolutely very fluid and a lot of just hanging out and a lot of, going to hear music and just sitting Crazy around parties and all and that. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. It's, and I do think, you know, Ben Stiller makes a statement, his character at the very end of the film, which I think that was like the one line that did the best job of tying so much together is, oh. you know, uh, as he, uh, it, I don't believe the guy's evil talking about the Jamie character, but he's just young. young. And it's like, yeah. yep, that's basically what I wanted to be able to walk away from this film with is even with all the stuff going on that you kind of get some very negative perceptions of certain people and generations. At the end of the day, they're just young, you know, and that's it. And what made that even, what took that to another, it was a simple statement, but what took it to another level for me was, I also like that statement. In In a Hollywood movie, in a more typical like, you know, comedy or something, Driver would have been evil. He yeah. would have just ended it evil. But this movie, you know, Ben Stiller does make that comment. You know, he's not evil. He's just, just young. young. And they yeah. kind of have a smile and laugh about it. But it actually left me thinking, you know, how is how is Jamie really? Mm-hmm. You know, is he evil? Hmm. But is he altruistic as well? But like, you know, there's a balance there, just like there is with everyone. You sure. know, you're not evil. You're not good. You know, just a perfect angel. But there's there's that middle road and how much of he part side. Yeah, there's so much there. And that, that was, yeah, another one of the lines that I really liked from the film. Mm-hmm. So. I'm going to cut off our conversation because we've been talking for about 30 minutes about this one movie. We probably need to move on. <laughs> Don't you guys agree? Yeah. yeah. So while we're young, it's actually available on we iTunes, move on Amazon. While we're young. While we're thing? young, we, we, time's a wasting. We got to get That's moving. Right. Um, we, uh, you can actually see this film on, I believe, Amazon rent. You can rent on iTunes. It's available online now. And I had a very small limited run earlier in the year. I got a feeling we get to the end of the year and we recap our best of the year. Something tells me a Mr. Fry might have this one somewhere on that list. We'll have to wait and see where it falls. Stands a chance. Stands a chance. All right. We're going to move on to our second review, which is a film called Faults. Our daughter is not well. She's someone else. She told me that she had found God, that she had made love to it. I don't want to lose my daughter, Mr. Roth. Are you familiar with deprogramming? would forcibly take your daughter away from the group far away she would not know where she was but more importantly where no one else would be able to find her i would begin the process of breaking her down you have to ask yourselves 
How far am I willing to go? You realize there's no hiding from them. How did you know where I was? Fault is a fracture. It's a place where pressure builds until it releases. One day, I will be a mountain. Alan, you mentioned at the outset of the show that Faults was a film that you hadn't really even heard of until mm-hmm. I mentioned, hey, let's you know pair this so we can have two reviews for the show. And you said, okay. Um, it is a smaller independent film. Um, another smaller independent film that we watched semi-recently that we reviewed on the show was called Buzzard. Yes, and it, I remember that one. <laughs> and you probably wish you could forget, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly. And you said, like, this stereotypes like what is bad or what can be bad about independent film. Like you felt like mm. it was kind of cocky and just, you know, it's like when people stereotype independent film or you, but like that was, you know, that was it. That was the example. That was it. Yep. With faults, you know, it doesn't have a lot of flashy special effects. It doesn't have a very complicated plot. The plot yeah. is a young girl or a young woman is involved with a, a cult mm-hmm. and her parents seek out a expert on mind control and on cults, kind of like a speaker guy, and seek him out to help get their daughter back. Deprogram her. To deprogram her. Right. And that's it. And it almost all takes place in a two-room hotel room. Yes. So we're talking, you know, so they're the independent film. They basically have to rent out some hotel rooms for a while. (laughs) And that's it. You know, it's a very small scale. Um, You have four... There are two main characters, the girl and then the the expert that's supposed to, you know, help deprogram her and then her parents. So four main people. You yes. Know, and that, you know, it's a very small very cast. Small. Mm-hmm. Alan, when looking at this film and you were entering into another small independent film, did this fare any better than Buzzard and why? <laughs> this is why this is a good example of how independent cinema can be. Okay. Where Buzzard, I felt like, gave independent cinema, to me, a bad name and a very, this is how you're supposed to make an independent film. You have to follow these numbers. you got to do these kind of shots. And then, oh, presto, you're an independent film. This one was creative. There was a lot of thought process involved. For such a simple story with a limited cast, it was interesting. It was unique. And I liked it. Okay. Um, I will say right off the bat, Chris, a thank you to you. Not necessarily for recommending the film, although I will say it was I enjoyed the film quite a bit, and I would not have seen it if you had not recommended it. Okay. I want to say more importantly, thank you for turning me on to whoever this Leland Orser guy is. No kidding. Because <laughs> I could watch him in any movie just about now after seeing this this performance. Man, he's, where has he come from? I don't I've know. Never seen him in anything before. I have never seen him in anything. He before. plays the deep programmer, the, the, deep the programmer. expert. And he's in seventy five percent of the movie, at least, yeah. if not more. And and the opening oh. stuff too with him, it establishes his character, and he has written some books, and he's giving a talk at a hotel with people there that are for a seminar. That whole sequence, the whole setting of sequence, was so. Good. It was such yeah. a bravado performance. And yeah, I, I was like, who is this dude? Yeah. Why have I never heard of him before? I'm sure maybe he's done some other stuff. I don't know. I didn't I do my homework, didn't check ID, IMDb. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you also saw him and were like, wow, that dude oh, is on fire. No, he is really, <laughs> really good in this film. You know, I was surprised because I didn't know where it all the film was going to go after that first 15 or 20 minutes. Because it really was, you're following his life. And right. just the kind of the shambles his life is in. There's no element of the plot almost introduced until 20 minutes in. Sure. And for that first 20 minutes, it's a little bit of a quirky, dark comedy. It is kind of dark, it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's like kind of a pathetic life you're following of somebody. And you're quite, not quite sure where it's going to go. But it was enthralling to watch. Right. Then the plot kicks in. And it's interesting. I'm still kind of wrestling with where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I will say by the end, it surprised me. I mean, I don't, I didn't predict the way it was going to end. I didn't predict kind of the, the way the plot unravels towards the end. It was a nice surprise. Um, and it was, it's just, it ended and it ended at the right spot and it was done and it was a nice short movie and it was good. I, I really, I was surprised by this movie a lot. Uh, we do need to say that um, Mary Elizabeth, um, Winstead, Winstead mm-hmm. who plays the actual primary girl, yes. um, who plays, uh, I'm forgetting Claire. her name, Claire, uh, the girl who 
is in a cult and they basically have to kidnap and then spend in the hotel room trying to deprogram her. Right. Um, I thought she did a fine job. Uh, I was still more impressed with Leela Norser, but she did fine. I actually read up a little bit. I mean, she, she produced the film. Her husband is the writer and director of the film. So this is his first film, his first directing job too, um, other than some short films he'd done. So it's kind of an interesting. So that, again, that ties it even more to being this really intimate little independent film right. where you've got a husband and wife combo who are just making the film and she's starring in it. They've got in this, this Leland Orser guy who I think has only been doing supporting roles on TV and other movies right. to come in and take a lead role. And it just, it really worked really well. I, I haven't really heard your thoughts yet other than his performance as a film. How did you feel about it? As a film, I I really liked it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, and there again, if you've been listening to this point, you now also have heard a plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. I I did really like the film. I had heard what it was, you know, generally about. Okay, and I wish I had gone in it to like you, where yeah, I was I just no watching. It's like, okay, is this movie just about this dude? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's really what I thought it was going to be. Who's kind of all over the place yeah. and kind of has a pathetic life, and it's funny, but yet it's kind of dark. You know. And then, you know, I wish I could have been a little bit more oblivious, Mm -hmm. but that didn't take away from my enjoyment of the film. I really, I really liked it. I thought her performance was, was good. And I thought the parents did a pretty good job as well. Um, The one thing I'll say, if I were to say a negative about the film, and there again, it could be because I knew a little bit about the plot before I went in, is I felt there may have been a little bit of um, hints that were dropped or things that were done too early about the direction things mm. could go in. Are you thinking more particularly about the father? No. Because that's the one little caveat I was going to throw out. Again, I'm, I'm dancing around this quite a bit. Sure. But the father and mother play an integral role in the plot as it unravels. And the father goes through a very, I think, dramatic change, personality change. From where we first meet him to the minute they enter the hotel. Huh. And that threw me for a loop for a little bit. I'm like, why is this guy acting this way now? Now, me having seen the whole movie, now you, I know why. You know, But I didn't know why there, and it did jostle me a little bit. Okay, there again, we're going we're gonna to dance around some stuff. Um, no, my, um, my thing, like, wait a second. I think, you know, or my, the things that were dropped, the hints that were dropped actually um, were a result of some interactions between um, Mary Elizabeth Winsett Claire and uh, Ansel. Yeah, Ansel. Ansel is the Leland Orson character and, and the, the, the expert in cults and mind control. Supposedly. Yeah, and basically some things were let out of the bag earlier than I thought they should have been, or maybe yeah, I didn't pick up on those. And I honestly, okay. I honestly didn't know where it was going until okay. they got really close to the end. And that was a nice, it was nice surprises to see. Um, yeah, it was a good film. I mean, again, keeping in mind, it was a low budget first time director and a lead actor that I've never heard of. Mm hmm. It just made for a really great surprise film. And I thought the helping with that, I'll say the editing and the cinematography, like they kept things interesting and they kept things moving and it, it didn't like plot along and knew yeah. it was kind of a tight, you know, tight feature. Um, yeah. I just, I think it's a really interesting yeah. film that I would recommend. people. I will check say Leland Orser's character and his performance made this film for me. I mean, okay. I still, I think it would have been an interesting film, even if it was somebody with not such a bravado performance, but I tell you, he was, he was hypnotic to watch. I just, I really <laughs> want to see what this guy's working on next now. That's amazing. Yeah. So to have somebody fly under the radar so much like that is, is great to see a surprise. You know what? It would have actually made a really interesting stage play. Yeah. I mean, you could have pulled this off in a stage play Absolutely. because over half of the scenes take place in the same two adjoining hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. And I will say too, from a environment setting standpoint, I love the whole connecting hotel rooms dynamic. Mm-hmm. It was really cool how they could stage their scenes where a scene's taking place in one room, but yet you know something's going on in the next room and it's just a doorway connecting them and that's it. There's something really interesting about this setting up a scene in a one of those hotel rooms that has the pass-through door in the middle connecting it. That was just a unique set up for it. So with that, do you, did you find it a little bit of a cheat? The, I 
think, you know, you have the beginning before they get to the hotel. But once they get to the hotel, at one point, um, Ansel, the Leland Orser, you know, guy who plays the Ansel character, the expert, he leaves. Yeah. Did you think that was a bit of a cheat to leave that circumstance and take him out and show, you know, where he goes is very interesting. He goes to talk to a guy who'd loaned him money. And there's this whole situation with that and storyline with that. Did you feel like that was a cheater? You felt like it worked and wasn't distracting. I think it worked because honestly, you know, we are not meant to know what was going on in those hotel rooms while he was gone. Right. And I think in a way, yes, it would have been cool if all the action could have stayed in the hotel rooms once they arose, arrived there. But I think the plot needed him to leave and it worked because it also created in our minds a little bit of mystery about exactly what did happen because when he comes back, there's a interesting situation he stumbles into. I think if we had stayed in the room or if it had not let us leave with him for a little while, I don't know if it would have really built up that same level of mystery and interest in what had happened while he was gone. So, right. yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I'm, I, that's a, it was a nice surprise. So thank you, Chris, for <laughs> recommending that we check it out. That is false. It is actually on Netflix. So if you are a Netflix subscriber, which I am, that's where I watched it, and it was nice and easy to pull up and watch. And I'm also a Netflix subscriber, but it wasn't on there yet, and so I actually checked it out, and it was on iTunes. So it's yeah. available there as well if you don't do Netflix. If you don't do so. Netflix, or if you just want to, if you really like what we're saying about it and just want to go ahead and buy it and own it, <laughs> that's true. You can do it on iTunes as well. So that's Fonts, starring Leland Orser and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, directed and written by Riley Stearns, uh, first time director for a feature film. So great. All right, so Chris, how about we uh, take a quick little break and then let's move on to some news and recommendations. Does that sound good to you? Sounds excellent. Great. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films in just a moment. I'm with the band on TheMesh.TV. Features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on TheMesh.TV and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. You heard Chris and I, and then also joined by Abigail for one of the reviews, review the films While We're Young and False. Both are available online. You can check out, and we do encourage you to check out both of them. Yes. Um, for various reasons. So, Chris, we, let's hit some movie news for just a moment. Let's uh, do it. You have two news items. I have two news items. You are going to be the art house indie news guy today. Okay. I get to be the mainstream popcorn box office <laughs> news items guy, if that's Excellent. okay. Let me go ahead and jump into first. Uh, so, Spider-Man. I've heard of that character. Yes. He's a somewhat relatively famous comic book character. He has been portrayed by two different people. In the last 12, 14 years. I think the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out in 2002 or 2003, somewhere in that neighborhood. Something like that. Uh, three films. And then you had Andrew Garfield with two films. Well, here's what's happened in the last year. Uh, Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man in the movies. Gotcha. The last Amazing Spider-Man number two, which we both did not like, did not do very well at all. Box office compared to what they wanted. For right. Sony we reviewed pictures. it on a previous episode if you want to hear we it. We did. Sony Pictures owns the rights to the movie rights for Spider-Man. Well, they are starting to realize that maybe they're not strong enough to do a Spider-Man franchise on their own. Hmm. So they have now formed a partnership with Marvel where Spider-Man Which will Which is now, owned by Disney. That's right. Where Spider-Man will start appearing in Marvel Comics Universe films. Hmm. But it's co-financed by, it's financed by Sony, so Sony still gets money. But yet Marvel gets to put their stamp on the character and kind of integrate them in. It's gotcha. kind of a win-win for both sides. So we have a new Spider-Man already. Tom Holland, who I think is 17 years old. What? Very young. They've gone with the youngest actor that's ever portrayed him before. Are they trying so to do like a Harry Potter thing? Well, yes, exactly. That's what it is. Huh. They are building for long term on this. Okay. So he is very young. He is high school age. He will be playing high school age for quite some time in the movies, my understanding is. Wow. They want to keep the character very high school grounded for at least a few films. So it's not going to be one of these things where it's high school and then immediately he's in college and immediately he's out in the real world. They want to keep somebody young. So this guy, I think, is he might even be like 15 or 16. Very young kid playing Spider-Man. Which, according to the comics, that's the way it should be. He started when he was about 15 or 16 years old in high school. Hmm. So good. 
obviously we don't want another origin story because we've seen it twice now. And that's one of the main reasons you did not like the rebooted amazing Spider-Man right? because it was just redoing so much what we'd already seen within 10 years from then. I have to say, and that's the part of the movie that I didn't care for. Once it got to the Dr. Connor bad guy part, I liked it. Yeah. And honestly, I'm a little sad to see Andrew Garfield. Leaving I am too. Because the second film, a lot of, you know, it had potential. It was just too many bad guys. And you know, listen to our review to hear why we didn't like it. But he wasn't the problem. No, no. And I feel like, you know, oh, such good casting. And now I liked him so much better than Tommy McGuire as Spider-Man. I did, too. And I liked uh, I liked uh, Emma Stone in the film so much better than Kirsten Dunst as the female lead in the first ones. So, no, they had the right characters. I do agree with you on that. It was a more of an unfortunate situation that they are rebooting a still-fresh-in-your-mind franchise. They made the bonehead decision of doing the origin story again, which was, not a, was a mess. And they made the bonehead decision of chalking it full with villains in the second movie. Right. And making it too muddy. Um, so, we're starting it over again. Third one. Hopefully, there's no origin story. I think I've even heard that they're not intending to tell so that story again. So, maybe the third time is the charm. But I'm going to really blow you over with this little, quick little nugget about their casting so far for this new version. Okay. Aunt May, who is the... Dolly Aunt- Parton. No. <laughs> Marissa Tomei. Okay. She's 50 years old. She will be the youngest Aunt May we've ever seen. Which makes sense because Spider-Man... Okay. It does make sense age-wise. In, a, in the comics, she was always portrayed as like a gray-haired grandmother type, even when Peter was 16 years old. Gotcha. But she's his aunt. She's not his great aunt. She's not his, you know, yeah, grandmother. Aunt May. Right. She is the sister of his, his mother, gotcha. I think, or father. So you would expect it to be that kind of age difference. Now, again, I think they're banking on having these characters around, these actors, for quite some time. Sure. So over the next 10 years, Marissa Tomei will become 60. And they will probably make her look much older than that even over time. I just thought that was interesting. Twitter is all up in rage about Marissa Tomei, someone everybody sees as a little more of a sex symbol. Sure. Playing Aunt May. <laughs> Which well, is kind know, of funny if you think about I it. I mean, yeah. And she has also won an Oscar. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm on record right Benny, now. Right? I want uh, Joe Pesci to play Uncle Ben. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I want. Absolutely. It's going to be a Mike um, Cousin Vinny remake. So. I, you know, the thing is, that is interesting casting. I don't feel bad about it. Um, and I, I'll be interested to see what she does yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. I think that could be really interesting. I, I, hey, listen, I love the character. I still don't feel like the movies have done it quite right. Okay. I think Andrew Garfield was the closest we've had to the best representation of the character. The movies around him were not as good as they could have been. I did not think Tobey Maguire was a good Spider-Man at all. Actually, I just tested him as Spider-Man. Wow. Okay. Because he was mopey all the time. Even his Spider-Man was not funny. He just so, was so droll and dry. It just was not enjoyable. Okay. So I'm ready for a good take on this character. I'm just a little nervous that it's we've had three in 15 years. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, a bit, that's a bit much. That's the issue there. All right. What have you got for us? So Robert Downey Jr. Yep. He's, you know, been Iron Man. He's had fun with that. Um, he almost was in Inherent Vice, which Paul Thomas Anderson did. Which he went with Joaquin Phoenix instead because yeah. of scheduling, probably. Because he had to go be in the uh, Age of Ultron movie. Right, okay. But turns out him and PT, pretty good friends, Ooh. always kind of wanted to work together. Well, Robert Downey has the property of Pinocchio, apparently, has been developing it. And he has now got a script that he has Paul Thomas Anderson working on. And supposedly, word on the street is that Mr. Anderson will be directing Robert Downey Jr. as Geppetto Hmm. in Pinocchio. Alan, how do you feel about this? Um, Intrigued. This would be one of the first times I think P.T. Anderson would have directed an adapted story. I believe, I mean... Technically, um, There Will Be Blood was ad- adapted a little bit from an Upton Sinclair thing. But yeah, yeah te- but no, this is, yeah, this but is like, you know, more. still more or less, it's always been his, his original production. Right, 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 This is one where he's taking something that's existing and, and rewriting, helping write it and then put it to, to screen. It could be like when Robert Altman did Popeye. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even think about that and, comparison point. Yeah, because Paul Thomas Anderson is taking something that everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows Pinocchio and he's going to, yeah. Well, and you got to think, I mean, it's probably going to be one of the more interesting takes on the story and probably a little bit more truthful to the true original fable story as opposed to the Disney version, of course. Right. Uh, So Paul Thomas Anderson doing a film that possibly could be a somewhat family-friendly film? 
that's a little interesting too because he's it never is. done that before. No, no. Um, I'm very intrigued, but I can also see it being a a disaster if it doesn't <laughs> go well. Right. And it may be one of those experiments that just does not pay off in the end. But I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. P.T. Anderson has not let me down terribly in the past. I wasn't the biggest fan of There Will Be Blood when I saw it. But almost every other film, the first time I saw it, I really, really liked it. So I'm, I'm ready to say bring it on. What can, does it concern you at all? You know, we've had – we talked about this, I think, on the previous show – where there's comic book movies and people are kind of getting burned out, maybe a little bit on comic book movies. Now we've had remakes of fairy tale movies. We had Alice in Wonderland. We had Maleficent. We just recently had Cinderella. Um, and Disney's going to keep turning those out, by the Disney way, from what has, I understand. Disney has a Beauty and the, Beauty Beast, and the Beast with Emma Watson, yeah. the Harry Potter lady. And then um, Warner Brothers and Disney are going to make Jungle Book, two different yeah. versions of Jungle Book. Tim Burton is making a live-action version of Dumbo. Yep. So, are, are, do you do you have a, a sense of impending doom and dread? Well, the good thing about this is that there's a lot more diversity in these stories than you have in like the superhero community. True. So I think you can have a little more flexibility with not. I don't think everybody's going to look at this and be like, "Oh God, another fairy tale movie." <laughs> you know, I think they're they, they're seeing a little bit more independent of one another. Sure. Where superhero films do tend to kind of look alike after a while, just different colors on their costumes. Right. Um. So I don't think it's going to be as weary for the audience as much. Uh, But it is just interesting to see that's where all the rage is right now and to go into these fairy tale Disney classics and adapt them into a more real life situation. So very interested to see uh, Burton's Dumbo or no, no, not really. (laughs) I really did not like Alice in Wonderland. And Uh, I just, that's all I can visualize is a huge CGI overdone. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm not feeling it. I'm not unless it's stop motion animation work. I don't want to see Burton doing a lot of CGI work. I got you. That's my thing. I liked back when it was Batman and Beetlejuice and Pee Wee with more practical effects. I think he had more fun and style with that. The minute you throw CGI worlds and virtual environments into Tim Burton's hands, it just doesn't work for me. And I'm afraid to have a flying elephant. I mean, yes, it's going to be a huge CGI fest. So, <laughs> True. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, Chris, it would not be. A month have gone by of Candle Films if we didn't have some mention about Star Wars. Okay. And I apologize because I feel like I'll keep bringing this topic up, but they keep throwing more and more interesting news our way about this. Okay. So let me gauge your interest. I'm going to add three components to this film project, and you tell me at each stage if your interest is going up or going down based on what I'm telling you. Okay. They have announced that there is going to be, as part of their series of standalone movies in the Star Wars universe. Interest has gone way down before okay. you can even finish. It'll be a Han Solo movie. Our Honestly, interest is down. I, I, you know, interest with Han Solo, Han Solo has gone back up a little bit. I am so done with hearing about all the standalone movies because I think they're really putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, could be. And they, you know, it's like, I understand you could have mentioned one, but they keep mentioning all well, these standalone movies. Well, there's two right now that are officially on the books. There's Rogue One. One is Rogue One. Rogue One. Which is in production. Uh, and that is, uh, who was it? There? Uh, the guy, Gareth Edwards, is doing that. Han Solo has been formally announced as of this week. And the director is? Uh, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So, Han Solo movie, you're still low interest because you don't like this idea of all this universe of films. But Han Solo being the main character, you're a little, a little bit. Yeah, I'm all a little right. bit. But... What if I told you it was written by Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Empire Strikes Back? That's a good sign. Okay, and so. it's, it's also going to be he and his son, Joe Kasdan, or hmm. John Kasdan, writing together. Okay. So creeping up a little bit. Yes. The director, Christopher Miller and Phil Lord, who did the Lego movie. <sighs> up or down? Where are Can't you going? Can't stay the same? Uh, that's fine. It's not, it's not exciting, but sure. <laughs> Stays the same. All right. So yeah, Christopher Miller and Phil Lord, who have gotten all the rage of Hollywood. They did that 21 Jump Street remake. In 22. They've done 22. They did the Lego movie and got right. all this acclaim for that. And supposedly, I think they're involved with something on the DC side, maybe doing The Flash or something in a few years. Oh, okay. But they have been tapped to do these hand solo, stand, standalone solo movie. The latest rumor I heard as far as an actor, and this is all just active, uh, rumor at this sure. point. Who is the guy who played the younger guy in uh, Breaking Bad? Um, Aaron Paul? Aaron Paul has been at least kicked around a little bit. I could see that. Okay. Here's the thing, though. What I'm worried about is which do I want to be better? 
the spinoff movies or the ones that are actually well, in why the... Why can't they both be good? They, can't, they can be, but after what happened with the prequels, you know, mm. I, I just want them to focus you want on them, these three You want movies. them to get the, these new sequels right Absolutely. before they start going crazy with other right. stuff. Right. I'm like, yeah. just focus on what's at hand, man. Yeah. You know? Well, then let me add one more little nugget that actually just okay. came out this morning. Oh. Because this is Comic-Con going on this week, so there's True. all these big announcements. All this stuff. Comes. So we know J.J. Abrams is doing episode seven. That's going to come out in December. We know that um, Ryan Johnson is doing episode eight, which yes. will come out two years after that. Right. They announced the director for episode nine this morning. And he's writing episode nine. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Johnson, Johnson's or he's at least it. co-writing it or something. Yeah, but we have a director for episode nine. Okay, who is it? Is the director we spoke about in just our last episode. What? We did a review of his most recent film in our na- last episode. Colin Trevorrow? Yep. Huh. Colin Trevorrow is going to be directing. He's the director of Jurassic World. Right. And of uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, something tells me that when you've got one of the biggest blockbusters in recent years under your belt, you get a little more conversations at high levels of Star Wars meetings. Hmm. So he will be the director of Episode Nine. Now, I will tell you, that doesn't excite me. Because I thought Jurassic World was pretty cut and dry directing-wise, and there wasn't really anything interesting about it. I wasn't the biggest fan of Safety Not Guaranteed. so I'm just, I was a bigger fan. You were. But yeah. I'm actually thinking we're seeing a letdown after Ryan Johnson. Because Ryan Johnson, I was so excited about Me for too. Episode 8. And I'm really happy with J.J. Abrams doing 7. Yeah. So at 9, it's like, really? That's going to be it? Okay, well, I mean, hopefully we get to see what the guy's really made of when it comes to a big budget yeah, uh, sci-fi film. Maybe maybe his hands were tied a lot more with Jurassic World, trying to keep within that franchise. I don't know. Could be. Anyway, just mm-hmm. thought interesting news in the whole Star Wars front. I'm kind of with you in that. I just want to see Episode Seven. Don't tell me about any other film until I've seen Episode Seven and right. seen which how is good coming it is. out this December. So I do feel like maybe they are rushing things a bit, but. Rogue One does sound pretty freaking cool. I don't mean <laughs> to see the actual stealing of the Death Star plans I mean, as kind of like a mission-based sure. film. That does as long really as cool. Tom Cruise isn't in it, like, and they make references to Mission Impossible with Rogue One, then yes. All right, here's with your last uh, news item there. So this is a really quick one. Okay, but um, so I talked about how I thought Noah Baumbach's film that we discussed mm-hmm. while we're young was kind of like his Godfather. And I was a little worried last night leaving the theater. I'm like, you know, he's he's a good guy. I really like this movie. I'm worried that this is going to be the best thing that he's ever done, and mm. you know, career is going to go downhill. I bet I'll hate the next thing he's going to do. Yeah. He has another movie coming out this year. Okay. It's called Mistress America. Mm-hmm. Stars Greta Gerwig, who was in Greenberg and yep. also in Francis Ha, and I believe it's his wife. I think so. Okay. In real life. Yeah. But here's the plot description. Tracy, a lonely college freshman in New York, is rescued from her solitude by her soon-to-be stepsister, Brooke, an adventurous gal about town who entangles her alluringly in alluringly mad schemes. Mistress America is a comedy about dream-chasing, score-settling, Makeshift families and cat stealing. <laughs> I'm so on board. Well, I mean, after after as much as you like while we're young, yes, that's I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he keeps building his film repertoire here. So this the description is interesting. This one, earlier views have kind of hinted that it's it's more of just a comedy comedy, which yeah. after the seriousness of while we're young, you know, I, I could be well, a kind of really on board. serious, though, while we're young. I mean, I don't think it was. Really? I, I think. I think it was actually, I thought part of the joke is, is making things more serious than maybe they needed to be. Anyway, huh. All right. Okay. Uh, we've already talked 30 minutes about <laughs> while we're true. young. We don't need to talk anymore about it. But yeah. Um, Mr. So America, how do you think it being a little more straight comedy, you feel, you feel pretty good? Yeah. yeah I'm, I, hey, I'm very interested in going to see his next film. I do want to look at Margo at the Wedding because I think that's the only one I have not seen. Okay. Francis Ha, I've seen most of, and I do want to go back and revisit it just to kind of clear that out. Sure. Um, so, no, I'm interested. Uh, I, I think it sounds uh, intriguing. So, cool. so that's our news. Uh, what we do at the end of the show here, there's just kind of quickly give a uh, recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out, uh, something that's available online that you can find pretty easily. So, Chris, what do you want to recommend for our audience to check out before we close the show? I'm going to recommend a movie you can find on Netflix, iTunes, A Girl Walks a Home alone at night that's that's the title that of the is, film. Yeah, right. that is the title of the movie not a plot description no. that's right although i mean yeah <laughs> it's there but it's it's an independent film um shot in iran hmm. and okay. it's about 
you know, an Iranian ghost town, Bad City, as it is named, a place that reeks of death and loneliness. The townspeople are unaware they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire. Hmm. So the girl who is walking home alone, now you know why, because she's a vampire. Ah. Um, This was shot in black and white. It recalled to me a lot of the wonderful cinematography that was in uh, Ida that Mm -hmm. we reviewed previously on the show. Of course, this is a vampire, not about a nun. But um, still, a lot of really cool cinematography. Musical choices that are made to go along with uh, scenes in the film are also very interesting. Mm -hmm. So... It's, you know, small, low-budget, indie-type film. But uh, I, I really liked it, really responded cool. to it. And it's on, uh, Is it on Netflix? It is on Netflix. Okay, cool. And the director has caught the eye of a lot of people. And her next project, what was it? Avengers 3. No. <laughs> no um, ah, I can't remember. But anyways, after seeing this movie, I was like, oh, I wonder what she's up to. And, oh, okay, she's in production on a movie called The Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. And it's starring Jim Carrey and Keanu Reeves. It's a dystopian love story in a Texas wasteland and set in a community of cannibals. I'm wow. like, bring it on. <laughs> okay. So With Keanu Reeves and Jim Carrey, this Iranian director. Wow. Anna Lily Amapur. Yeah, it's like. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Oh, and that's what cool. I'm all about, stuff that's not mainstream. You know yeah. me, Mr. Oh, Arthouse. But, uh, yeah. So, anyways, her current or the most recent film that she did is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Okay. A little bit of typing you have to do on the Netflix box <laughs> to find true. it. But, you know, it's, it's there. Mine actually got a really long title, too. Okay. Uh, mine's a documentary called The Other One, The Long Strange Trip of Bob Weir. And uh, I am not a big Grateful Dead fan. Never have been. Okay. Um, I was one of those guys that heard the music. I'm like, yeah, music's pretty good. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, sure. I don't understand the droves of people following the stuff. But I like the band and the music okay. Bob Weir's the guy. He is the other one. You know, everybody knows Jerry Garcia. Bob Weir's the younger, youthful-looking guy that's always there. Lead guitar sometimes, lead sing, singing sometimes. And uh, this is a documentary about Bob's life, which I think is great because I love rock documentaries. Even if it's bands or things I don't care about, I still love the process of learning about musicians and dynamics within a band and touring schedules and all that. That to me is, I could watch rock documentaries all day. (laughs) I was the guy watching like on VH1, the behind the music on everything. Doesn't matter (laughs) if it was freaking salt and pepper or whatever. I mean, I will watch the rock documentary to find out like the background of these artists. So this is a, it was a, it's a, this is a really well-made documentary. It follows the traditional rock documentary tropes. It's a lot of interviews with other performers and people who knew him and played with him. But you got a little bit of the added benefit that Bob Weir is still very much alive and well. So you've got the sit-down interviews with him throughout the film, but you also got a lot of walking and talking like as he goes about his life. Like in his house, just kind of checking out his guitar collection and kind of getting a feel of how he's living. You know, you, you interview some of his family members. You interview... Um, the daughter of Jerry Garcia, who talks a lot about Bob and the relationship her father and Bob had. It was really interesting. And again, me going in with very little knowledge, I thought I came away extremely knowledgeable about the band, the dynamics, his role in the band, how he feels about the band now, where he is in his life. He even was adopted. And part of the subplot is kind of trying to get reconnected with his parents, his birth parents. So there actually was some a plot line in there that kind of carried the story through. It was, it was a really well made and it's a Netflix produced documentary, which I think is just fascinating. I can't wait to check this film out because it sounds like to me, you're saying you recommend it. Even if you don't know anything about the grateful dead or you yes. don't care, yes. but I love the mm-hmm. grateful dead was fortunate enough to see him in concert several times. And I like had heard of this film, but didn't know anybody who'd seen it. You've seen it. You're recommending it. I, it's going to be the very yeah. next thing I watch. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's really, really well done. Just a well-made, high-caliber rock documentary. Really good. Excellent. Um, And uh, and it doesn't just talk about Grateful Dead. It talks about Rat Dog and other bands he's been in as well. So it explores his whole life as a musician, not just his role in the Grateful Dead, which I thought was also good, too. Um, You know, but the whole thing with Netflix right now, I started realizing it. Some of the TV shows I've been watching and enjoying lately, and now movies I've been watching and enjoying – are all Netflix-produced shows. It's pretty amazing. How crazy is it that I'm actually watching more Netflix original things in my daily life than I am broadcast network shows? Mm-hmm. So Netflix, keep doing it, man. It's good stuff. I'm, I'm digging it. Orange is the New Black, 
the Daredevil TV series, uh, House of Cards. I mean, that's been my TV show for like the last six months. And now with this documentary and some other films, there's another documentary out that I haven't had a chance to watch yet about a female singer that I'm not. Nina Simone. Yeah. yeah. Don't know anything about her, but just it's a Netflix documentary. I'm ready to go watch it now. So (laughs) that's really cool. Excellent. All right. Well, that is our show for today. While we're young, Faults, both films we think you ought to check out. Chris, definitely enthusiastic on While We're Young. Uh, Me, a little less so, but I still think it's a good movie worth checking out. Faults, we both were pleasantly surprised with and happy to say that was a really nice, surprising film. Uh, We had some movie news about various topics. We had our recommendations. Um, both of them with extremely long titles. I'm not going to say again. <laughs> so a lot to check out, a lot of things to give us feedback on. If you had feedback on the show or just suggestions in general, Chris, where would somebody go in that situation? You can drop us an email at info at TV and just you know tell us what you like, what you didn't like, a film that's coming out that you want us to review. That's one way. Alan and I both also are on Letterboxd. And he's Alan Jackson. I'm Chris Fry. And we talk about movies on there and do short little reviews there. Um, You could also, um, if you think about it, you could subscribe to us in iTunes and leave us a review. That would would also be really cool of you. Back um, shows of ours are available on iTunes and are also available on The Mesh as well as tons of other podcasts that are up there on the, The Mesh Network. Great. Well, we do encourage you to reach out to us and let us know what you think of the show or if you just have thoughts in general. And uh, definitely check us out on TheMesh.tv. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We'd love to make sure that you always get our newest episodes every time we put them out there. And as a quick reminder, too, Foot Candle Film Festival coming September 25th through the 27th. We have uh, gotten to our final list of films that we'll be showing. We're going to have 11 feature-length films and 14 short films shown over the course of a 48-hour period right here in Hickory, North Carolina at the Salt Block Auditorium. Tickets will be going on sale eh, probably mid-August time frame, I believe, somewhere in that neighborhood. We don't have an exact date yet, but we will definitely be putting it up on our website and everywhere else and whenever tickets are on sale. And we'll let you know on this show as well when they're available. We'd love to come see you. Join us in Hickory if you're so inclined. Let us know if you are traveling from out of the area to come visit our festival. We'd love to make sure we get a chance to meet up with you. So for Chris, I'm Alan. We're saying goodbye. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.